All right, if you will, open up to Proverbs 18 with me. Proverbs 18, we're going to look at verse 24 and then several others. Uh, but I'm excited to have college students back here in town. Uh, the restaurants are more crowded. Uh, the streets are definitely bustling more than they were with you gone. Uh, and so we liked some of that, the less bustling and less crowded restaurants. But we're excited uh, to have you all back here. Uh, if you have not been joining with us or not knowing what we're doing in January, uh, Chris, our pastor, is on sabbatical. And so uh, I get the whole month of January, and we've been reading through Proverbs together. Um, it's pretty simple. Proverbs has 31 chapters. There are 31 days in January, and so it's one chapter a day. And then what I've been doing is kind of seeing the themes that have been talked about and taking one of those themes and then just kind of expounding on it in our time together. And so uh, we're looking at another theme today uh, to go through. But if you want, the good news about the Word of God is you don't have to start from the beginning. You can just jump right in with us. You know, you can just keep coming. And so if you're like, hey, it's uh, January 24th right now and there's only seven days left, well, that's okay. Like, it's still good to read the Word of God with us. And so we would love, we're kind of just joining and doing this in the same accord together. And so we would love uh, for you to do that. Uh, with us if, you're, if you haven't started yet. But in 1938, Harvard started a study, and it took 724 people, some of which were sophomores at Harvard, and the others were kids from some of the poorest neighborhoods in Boston. And, and they started following these people. They started following through their career or through their career in college, then into the business world. Uh, they started following these young kids through elementary school, through middle school, and through high school and college and, and beyond. And they started every two years um, doing questionnaires with them. And, and so every two years, they would send them a questionnaire in the mail and they would start filling it all out and they would send it back to them to the, the study at Harvard. Then after they sent the questionnaire back, someone from the study would actually go to their house and conduct an in-home interview. If they were married, they would talk to their spouse. If they had kids, they would talk to their children. If they had, um, if they had parents and they were still young, they would talk to their parents and see how they were progressing. And then they would, take, they would get access to the medical records if the people would, would let them do it, just before HIPAA and all those things. And so they would get their medical records and, and look over them. And what's interesting is this is actually one of the longest studies that have ever happened because even now to this day, that study is still going on from 1938 to now. And they started to draw out some conclusions, started to draw out some things from just the human life that, that, that are interesting. And one of those things that they sought to study and to look at was what makes, what makes us as people happy or satisfied with our life? What makes us as individuals uh, love where we are and be fully satisfied with what is happening in our lives? And so it was interesting when I was reading about this, this week, they, it, it wasn't their wealth that made them more satisfied. It wasn't what zip code they lived in that made them satisfied with their life. It wasn't how big their house was that made them satisfied in life. It wasn't the cars they drove. It wasn't um, anything else. But they found that, that one thing would find, would cause people to be satisfied in their life. And you know what it was? 
I'm going to tell you. Um, I, I, I feel like I've built it up long enough that you're kind of waiting for it. But the one thing that they found that would find, that would be on anything else, that would bring someone satisfaction was the quality of their relationships. The quality of their relationships. Now, you might be surprised by this, but I would tell you from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, from the creation story, we see this desire for relationship in our lives. You see, God created uh, all the world in six days, and then the seventh day he rested, and then in one of those days he places man, Adam, in the middle of the garden, and Adam has to start naming all the creatures, that they all come by him, every one of them, and he starts naming them alligators, birds, a fish, all these things just start coming by. And after all the names have done, after all the animals have come by, and he's named every one of them, Adam realizes that there's no one else like him. And so God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and in that sleep, he takes a rib out, and with that rib, he fashions woman. And then when Adam wakes up, God, in really the kind of this first marriage ceremony, ushers Eve and gives her to Adam. Now when you look at Genesis 2 and you, and, and, and you read that account, you'll notice that when Adam starts speaking, it's, it's indented. Now the reason it's indented is because it's, it's not a, a, a normal narrative. It's actually like him speaking. And so it means that like it's, it's a poem or, or a song. Now, wives, I don't know what it takes for your husband to start breaking out into poems and songs, uh, but it's pretty significant for me when I start breaking out the poems and songs. But when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he's realized he's alone, and he sees Eve for the first time, and he says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's been craving that kind of relationship. In 2013, the University of Michigan did a study on people's use of social media and their satisfaction with their life. And so every five times a day, they took um, 82 young adults and they sent them text messages five times a day asking them these questions. How do you feel right now? How worried are you right now? How lonely do you feel right now? How much have you used Facebook since the last time we asked? And how much have you interacted with people directly since the last time we asked? And the study found that the more people that, the more time that people spent on social media, the less satisfied they were with their life. The other thing that was staggering that they found was when people started to feel lonely, they tended, they were more likely to spend time on Facebook on their phone. And so what's striking to me in that sort of scenario is this, that when people started to feel lonely, the thing they ran to, the thing that they would hope would change their feeling of loneliness, the thing that they thought, hey, if I can just um, see what other people are doing, I'll feel better, actually made them worse off. And what was interesting in our reading today, or this week, um, the book of Proverbs talked about this. The book of Proverbs talked about that same thing. In chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That word companion actually means a comrade, a neighbor, a brother. And it was used actually in the book of Job to describe his three friends. And so it's someone you might know fairly well, someone uh, you might talk to often. Uh, but there's one thing that you don't really trust them with, and it's the deep things of your heart. That you're familiar with a lots of people, that, that you know what's going on in a lot of people's lives, but you are known in the depths of your soul by no one. And so he says, like the, the Solomon, he says, hey, there is a man who has many companions, and he will eventually come to ruin. He will eventually not be satisfied with those companions. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what's unique about the Hebrew language is actually very pictorial. It's, it's very much like a visual type of language. And so this word friend actually means, like the picture is this, someone who breathes together with you. Like someone who, who breathes at the same pace that you are. That, that you find yourself with someone striding together. You find yourself breathing at the same pace. It's co a close connection um, where you feel the same excitement, the same burden, the same struggle with each other. And, and isn't that just like a beautiful picture? And isn't that the same thing that, that really at the depths of our soul all of us desire? Even the most introverted ones of us in this room still desire someone to breathe with. Someone who is encouraged by the same things we're encouraged with. Someone who is challenged by the same thing we're challenged with. Someone to walk through the valleys with you. Someone to celebrate the victories with you. To be excited about the same things you're excited about and to have the same concerns uh, that you have. And what's amazing about the Bible especially this book, is it will tell us how those relationships form. It's not like God put this deep sense of desire inside of us for those types of relationships and then leaves us over here and says, hey, good luck finding it. But no, God very much puts those traits and explains to us what those relationships must have in order to thrive as a friend that breathes together. And so the first trait, the first trait that we looked, that we read about this week, is actually in Proverbs 17, verse 9. Proverbs 17, verse 9. <clears throat> it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And so one of the core tenets or, or building blocks of deep relationships is trust. Trust that knowing what is talked about will stay between two people. Trust uh, that knowing you are cheering them on. Proverbs 16.28 says something very, very similar. It says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. A dishonest man spreads strife, but a whisper will separate 
close friends. Like the, the meaning of that is very interesting or intriguing to me because it says, hey, you can do all the work. You can spend all the time. You can do all that it takes, all the blood, the sweat, and the tears to have those types of relationships that thrive together. But if you, as soon as you whisper something that was shared in confidence, it will separate you. It will separate you. Like imagine if you're confiding with someone, something that, that, that's really kind of a deep-seated thing for you. And you've done all the work to get to the point where you felt like, hey, I can trust this person, that they're not going to spread anything about me. And, and, and you share the struggle with them, only to find out that was whispered about amongst the people. Like it hurts. It infuriates you. It, 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 in some ways, it kind of damages you. But the most destruction that will happen in those moments is not the gossip that is spread, but is actually the, daming, the damaging that it will do to your soul by you never being able to trust anyone again. And so the first building block that we have to have in our relationships is trust is trust the second the second that we read about this week is found in proverbs 17 17 proverbs 17 17 it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Isn't there this calming feeling when you know that someone is in it with you? Like there's this calming feeling about being on a team, or, or there's this calming feeling that, no, hey, w w whatever I'm going to walk through, whatever I'm going to walk through, I'm, I'm going to walk through it with, with some people. There's just something about it um, that, that brings great connection. And there's something about a team, um, that a group of people that struggle together or, or that pull each other up that really shows this, like, that builds this deep trust or sense of love inside of each other. And you see, a friend shows love by the way they respond to situations. And they sacrifice their time and their resources to show you that they care. You see, there are times when you just need to vent. Last night, I got a call from my sister. And she was like, hey, I can't talk to mom and dad about this. I can't talk to my husband about this. Um, and so I'm calling you right now just to vent. I'll be fine in a minute. As soon as we hang up the phone, I'll go inside with the pizza. But I just need to vent to you right now. And a friend sits on the other side of the phone after a hard day of work or a hard day at class and a friend loves you just by giving you space to vent to not hold any words against you and you know there are times that you need to cry that's more ladies than men but uh, there are times that, that we need to cry and a friend gives you a safe space to do that to show your emotions there are times when you need to laugh and a friend shows you love but by just being there to help you laugh. There are times when you just simply need not to be alone and a friend shows love to you by coming over, sitting on your couch, 
and maybe not even saying a word, but just being there. There are times when something great happens to you, and you just need someone to celebrate with. Hey, it's like, hey, I'm not bragging right here, but the most amazing thing happened. Or I'm not bragging right here, but, but this accomplishment happened in my life. And being loving as a friend means doing whatever your friend needs, sitting down right next to them, or hearing them cry, or laughing with them, whatever it takes, that you'd be willing to do that. Jesus talks about friendship in John chapter 15, and we're not going to read it, but it says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And most of us will, at that moment, go right to death. Most of us will be like, hey, like, like that's what it is. Like, we'll, we'll die for our friends. And yes, that's a very noble thing. And yes, the reason we are friends of God is because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we can have a relationship with him. But very few of us, if any in this room, will ever be asked to die for your friend or die for someone else in this room. Very few of us. But every one of us, at some point in our life, or at some point this week, this month, this year, will be asked to die to yourself and give away time for other people. You see, time, there, there, there are lots of quotes about this, but time is actually called the greatest resource of our life. Time. And when we choose to love someone by giving our time, then we have the second building block of a relationship that thrives together. The third is this. Um, it wasn't in our reading this week, but we have to talk about it. It's Proverbs 27, 6. Proverbs 27, 6. So it's trust, it's love, and then it's honesty. It's honesty. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the enemies, are the kisses of the enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you jump down to Proverbs 27, 9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel, or his earnest advice. I'm a sucker at, at, at looking at teams Specifically teams that really seem to accomplish a lot. And I've, I've looked at teams in the ministry world. I've looked at teams, just read books about leadership about teams. But there's one theme that kind of comes up in all successful teams or all successful relationships. And it's this, that everyone knows where they stand. That people on their team know the things they need to work on, know the things that they thrive in, and know their roles well. And a true friend will do the same things. He or she will tell you when your stuff stinks. He or she will tell you when your stuff stinks. And they will point out things that aren't right. That when they notice an area of your heart that is bitter, they will point it out. That They will say the hard things because they care about you. And too often we judge love and friendship only by saying the good things. 
But some of the best things that can happen with some of the people that know you the best is when they put your arm around you and they look at you and they say, Hey, George, there are lots of great things about you, but man, there's some bitterness in your heart towards this. And you need to get over it. Every time we hire a, a college staff member, um, I do a profile from a, a group here in town called the Flipping Group. And so, um, and so when we do it, it's, it's, I take the profile on myself, and then I get six other people to, to rate all these things about me. And then uh, the person that we're thinking about hiring does the same thing. And so after all that stuff is done, I go and I sit down with one of uh, our friends here at the Flipping Group. And, and, and they start asking me, hey, what does this person need to be successful in this job? And so we start writing it down. I, write, I make all the lists of things that they need to do or need to exhibit to be really successful and thrive. And so we start uh, doing all that, and, and they start ranking them based on their profile how well they'll do. And so it's like, hey, if you want them to do this, then you're going to have to kind of speak that into them. You're going to have to ask them for their critical thought. You have to ask them for all those things. Um, but I've done that two times with, no, three times with with different staff members we've hired in the college ministry, and inevitably, at some point in the conversation, it moves from the person we're trying to hire to me. And so we go through all this, and then he looks at me, and he goes, George, um, hey, why don't you speak up more? Or, George, like, why don't you think critically more, like, about this situation? And, and then he'll ask me questions like, do you think your opinion matters? Like, do you think that, 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 that your thoughts are important? And I'll tell you, the first time, it kind of made me mad. The first time, I was like, hey, hey, look, this is not about me. I'm trying to ask about these other people. I need to know all their stuff, not me. And so he starts just kind of laying into me all these areas that I that, that I need to improve in, and I'm just, I'm beginning to get real beat up, and, and I was real excited going to this meeting, and then I leave kind of dejected, um, but, but I, the first time I remember getting in my car, I remember getting in my car, turning it on, and just asking the Lord, hey God, are, are those things true about me? The areas that he said I needed to improve in, are, are those true about me? And God was just like, yeah, yeah they are. And that anger, to be honest with you, that anger that I felt when I was first left that meeting turned into joy because there was someone who cared about me enough to be honest with me. Who cared about me enough to be honest with me. You see, some of us in this room have no one that will be honest with you. We'll have no one that, that will call you out, have no one that will that will love you enough to pull you aside in a loving way and say, hey, this really hurt when you said that to me. Or we'll say to you, hey, um, I've seen how you've talked to your spouse and it's not glorifying to the Lord and it makes you look bad when you say that. Or better yet, with your kids. Like, hey, man, um, your kids are owning you right now. 
And it's your job to discipline them, not, it's your job to set the tone for your house, not your kid's job to set the tone. And some of us, all of us, have planks in our eye that we don't see. And so a friend that breathes with you, a friend that strives together with you, will pull you aside and be honest with you. And I would tell you, when that happens, don't run away from it. But rather be thankful, because someone cares about you enough to show you the areas that you're struggling with. That you're struggling with. So, relationships that thrive have trust, they have love, and they have honesty. Now, when we talk about relationships, all of us in this room, even though we come from very different backgrounds, have very different stories, um, will typically fall into one of two categories when it comes to relationships. You'll either have these types of relationships, or you won't, or you won't. You'll either, be, you'll either have these people in your life that, yeah, hey, George, like, I'm not perfect at this, we're not perfect at this, but hey, we are, we are doing something, like, we are getting there. And, and then some of us won't. And so if you find yourself at a place where you have um, these types of relationships, I would ask you this morning, are they doing what God has designed them to do? Or is there something that, or, or is there a trust issue in there? Or, like this week, did you not give of your time to, to help that other person? Or has there been something that you know that the Lord has asked you to say to that person in a nice, loving way that would hurt them, that would wound them, but would be earnest counsel to them that you have not done? I, I would tell you to push deeper into that. To push deeper into that. But secondly... If you don't have them, I'll tell you that you have to pursue it. That you're not going to wake up one morning with these types of relationships. They take time. They take work. They take blood and sweat and tears. And what I found is the first step is the hardest. And and so you're going to have to put yourself out there. And if it doesn't work, you have to pull yourself up and put yourself out there again. And you're going to have to keep doing that. You're going to have to keep initiating. You have to keep going, keep pursuing. Until one day, something sticks. And you're just connected together. But I would also tell you that it's right here in front of you. You see, we've worked hard, diligently, to make our church, or to to make not our church, God's church, a place where, where his people can connect on a relational level. And I would tell you that 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 is the most, that is one of behind our preaching the word and worshiping him and challenging you to do that individually. That is the third most important thing we do. Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gives gifts to all individuals. It says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers. And it's not, a, it's not an all-encompassing list, but it's a list. And in other words, like God has gifted every one of you. And when those gifts rub off on each other, 
In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, then we become mature. And it's only when that happens that maturity comes. And so I would tell you, those types of relationships are right here in front of you. Like we have Sunday school classes you can join. We have small groups you can be a part of literally almost every night of the week. We have countless numbers of areas that you can serve. But you're going to have to initiate. You're going to have to pursue. You're going to have to not come to one service or one hour a week here and think that you can be known. Because the truth is, this is not the best place to be social in here. Like if you're talking right now, it's weird. Everyone around you is telling you, hey, be quiet, I'm trying to listen. But it's right here in front of you. And the blessing of a church our size is there are a lot of things going on. But the struggle is that you can come here and you can remain anonymous. And so my hope for us, that we would find a deep satisfaction in our life. Because God has given us relationships with other people that we can thrive with. And I think that's what every one of us wants. And it's right here in front of you. God, we, um, it, it, to me it's just so amazing how your word just speaks truth practically over and over and over again in our life. And God, we know that your word is truth. We know that um, that has the, the power to explain everything. And, and God, I'm just once again mesmerized that your word speaks about like the deepest thing in our core that we need. And, and that's other people. And so God, today, <clears throat> I know that it's really hard. It's it's. It's difficult, and especially for those, that, those of us that feel lonely, God, it's hard. And God, we might not feel good enough. We might have been hurt time after time after time in, in other relationships. But God, today, I pray that you would bring a supernatural strength to all of us to pursue other relationships that will, that will bring a maturity in our life. And so, God, thanks for being a God that loves us enough to put that in your word to us. And so, God, we need you to move. We need you to speak. We're about to enter a time of, in, of invitation, and as the Lord um, speaks to you, there are several things that, that you could do. Number one, uh, we would love to pray for you. And it's not a sign of weakness when you come down here and ask for prayer. I would actually think it's a sign of strength because you realize, hey, I'm not in control anymore. And I need God to intervene on our behalf, on my behalf. And so if there is something in your life that, that you would love us to pray, that you want us to pray for, we would love to pray for you. It would be a joy and a privilege for us to pray for you. Second, you may be thinking, hey, I, like I want to join the church and we would love to tell you what that means, show you what that looks like. And, and then third, if, if you don't even know, the, if you don't know the Lord, like he, and 
and you have a walk with him, we would love to share with you the power that Jesus has given us uh, through the cross. And so as the Lord speaks to you this morning, you come.